0: everybody. It is great to be here one more time today. My name is Gary Fowler, and I'm the CEO, President and Founder of GST Get You Done Venture Studios, a premier AI and Quantum Venture Studio located in Palo Alto, California. We love artificial intelligence, quantum computing, because we believe that intellectual capacity is evenly spread around the world but opportunities are not and with these technologies we can make the world a better place i'm a 17-time serial entrepreneur with several unicorns under the belt including on the original management team of click software which was sold to salesforce for 1.35 billion dollars with that i have an incredible incredible guest it's a great honor to introduce uh, cindy today cindy warner she is an entrepreneur a CEO, a digital visionary, a cloud enthusiast, customer-obsessed, operationally excellent, and a billion-dollar P&L leader. She's worked with companies, uh, everything from PwC to Salesforce. And so with that, I'd like to bring her on board. Hi, Cindy, how are you today?
1: Hey, Gary, good to see you. I'm great, thank you.
0: Yeah, it's good to see you too. So tell me a little bit about it. How do you go from Sutton's Bay High School to grand valley state university where is grand valley by the way i didn't i didn't see it i looked. At
1: grand, grand rapids it's actually officially allendale michigan but let's call it grand rapids
0: okay grand rapids so so how do you go from there so i mean is it a how many students are in the school oh i don't know
1: maybe fifteen thousand now something like that i have no Wow. Clue.
0: how do you go <laughs> from there to, how do you go from there to the seldman school of business to uh fedex And you spent a long time at FedEx. You were there like 10 years, right?
1: Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. Loved the company. If I I didn't uh, or wasn't fearful of being uh, categorized as a transportation person the rest of my career, I would have stayed there probably my whole career because it's just a great company. I really, really loved the culture there. It was a great company.
0: What made you like it so much?
1: You know, they had a philosophy. It's a philosophy I still use today, believe it or not. It's called PSP people service profit. And at the time, uh, and certainly I I can't attest to that today, but I would assume it's probably the same, Um, Fred Smith and at the time also Jim Barksdale uh, felt that if you treated people really well, they would uh, deliver great service. And by that great service, we'd have great profits. And so it was really a simple philosophy, but it never failed. And I've used it ever since I left there take, you know, take really good care of your people. They deliver really great service or products to your customers yep. and your customers keep buying from you and you deliver great profits. So it was simple, but I think it's, it's bode well for them, for their in, entirety of the company. And it certainly bode well for me and in, in being a leader. So I, uh, I loved it there for that, that, pur- that purpose and that reason.
0: You know, I remember a long time ago, I was with a company, Digital Equipment Corporation. I spent a couple of years there because I wanted to jump into the corporate environment I'll never forget. They had this saying, do the right thing. And yeah. I, and you know when they said that if you got into a jam and you came out and said you know I just I did what I thought was right yeah uh, you never would get in trouble for it, it actually there was no issue because it was the same
1: I I, I do remember one time uh, I had the hinterlands as I called it of New Hampshire Vermont and a little part of Maine that I was managing for the company it was my last uh, last stint before I, I I moved on and we had a package that was for uh, it was supposed to be in Texas. And it was for a bid, like a multi-billion dollar bid for a project there. And it ended up in my station in Vermont. And they said, rent a private jet, send the thing to Texas. It has to be there today. And and I was like, well, the private jet is, you know, 40 grand. And they said, rent the private jet, put the plane, I mean, put the package, little tiny package, put that little bid on that little private jet and send it $40,000 later to Texas. And we did. And that was that was. The, I mean, they didn't even wince. It was do the right thing. Those people expected that bid to be in Texas, not in Vermont. And uh, so, yeah, do the right thing was was kind of at the heart too of the company.
0: Wow, that's great. And so, what made you decide to go over to Emy? Did you just like you know? And you were there a long time too, like nine years, right? What?
1: Yeah, almost ten you years. That
0: um,
1: you know, I got into when I was at FedEx. Um, I was doing a lot of parallel work on systems. Um, Jim, of course, Barksdale and Fred Smith at the time were both very concerned or very convinced, I should say, that technology was going to be at the heart of the company, that moving packages was a a, a great endeavor. But if we couldn't tell a customer where the package was, what happened to it, if it got misrouted, all that. um, At that time, we called it points of light. We wanted to give the customer 10 points of light of where the package was. It was picked up, it was sent to a center, You know what have you. So they believed that technology was going to be at the heart of all we did, including how we ran the stations and the efficiency and effectiveness. And so I started working on a bunch of technology projects there. I got to spend a lot of time in Memphis at the SuperHub, and I uh, I really believed that the technology enablement for an enterprise was going to be kind of the future. And that's um, you know when I when I left there, I went to Eny to deploy technology for enterprises, typically deploying. Um, At that time, Oracle and SAP ERP solutions to help companies become more efficient.
0: So, So, you know, as you're going down through this journey, what do you, you know, there's a lot of things happen with companies like politics, corporate politics. (laughs) How do you navigate through politics? What, like, if you look at it, you know, the keys to success. So you get into these meetings and, you know, and I'm sure you've been into those meetings where the meetings to have meetings about meetings. Yeah. I, I, you know, and you're like, I, I remember us coming out of after being a serial entrepreneur and then jumping into, uh, you know, deck HP and we had those meetings um, and they were really nice people. But I was like, I couldn't believe it, actually, because yeah. it was like that sometimes the most um, uh, absurd conversations you can possibly imagine that you never has as a startup entrepreneur. And they didn't really go anywhere. And then the next thing was to have another meeting the following week to talk about the meeting we just had. (laughs) Is it it just me or what?
1: No, it's not just you. It's not just you. It was uh, it's it's been it's mired, you know, pretty much my whole career. But, you know, I would tell you that um, I had the. I've had the pleasure of leading pretty large teams and. We always tried to take the noise. I used to call it the noise. We used to try and take the noise out of the system and get out of the way and let people do their jobs and do it efficiently. And I think honestly, that's you know, the key to my success is I'm there to provide direction, guidance, um, and you know, clear outcomes. And the rest is up to you. So getting out of the way and roadblock and getting rid of roadblocks for people is kind of how I spent a lot of my career is, is really helping people be successful. And if you hire great people and you do that and you enable them to be successful, you know, miracles and results can happen. And, you know, and I, I've been fortunate to have miracles and results happen. So
0: what about Salesforce? So you jumped in there at early days. pretty interesting time. How was it dealing with Mark Benioff?
1: Benioff? Oh, it was, he was a, he was a cupcake. Um, he, he's a, you know, sans the fact that, At that time, Koa had to go everywhere. Uh, The dog had to go everywhere. Um, His dog?
0: Huh?
1: His dog? His dog, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I mean we went i remember going out to lunch with him uh one day i think it was like an applebee's or someplace and um and koa was there koa and then people you know the restaurant would say i'm sorry sir the, the the dog can't come right the dog can't come in the restaurant and he'd say no you don't understand and that was even before the service dog thing was like a big deal where you just you know mask your dog as a service dog so it could go everywhere with you and but koa went everywhere um i thoroughly enjoyed uh, the time there he obviously is Quite the visionary, but more than anything, I'll tell you. And I've followed the progress of the company. Um, he does the right thing for the right reasons. In his heart, he does the right thing for the right reasons. And so you see him stand up against injustice. You see him, you know, have a very strong ESG background in the company. And Susan uh, DiBianca Bianca has been there through, you know, the entirety of the company, leading GS uh, or ESG initiatives and stuff, and doing the right thing. And and he also puts his money into areas that are necessary so the world becomes a better place. So for all those reasons, I mean, I wouldn't say that I ever thought that Salesforce was the most amazing CRM solution, to be really candid. Um, And I think, you know, he would probably say that today, it's maybe not the most amazing solution, but it's a really amazing company. And he is an amazing human being at his heart. He's an amazing human being.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was, I remember Guy Kawasaki saying that he was his intern in 1984 at Apple. I had Guy on my show and, uh, and it was quite interesting. And, you know, when he came out with Thin Client back in the early nineties, I remember my, some people that I knew worked for him actually then when they came out of Oracle and things, it's just amazing and good place to get some, you know, when you're going down through it, how important Cindy is it for stock options? Because obviously you've hit, a number of these companies at the right time how important are stock options options i
1: think i actually think they're really important because it it means that everybody's pulling the oars in the same direction you know it's uh, while you know there are some companies that that, that over rotate on stock options and and it can become um a thorn in people's side in a company where there's a competitive edge that comes out of that right so you have to be careful that it doesn't create people crawling up each other's backs but when you think about it at the end of the day you need everybody pulling the oars in the same direction and if the company value and and you know delighting customers uh, is a directly direct correlation to your stock and your stock value and therefore your own personal um, value and wealth, uh, it's the same. Then ambition that everybody has is to make the company and its customers do really well. So I don't have, I, don't, I really don't have an issue with it, unless it starts creating the climb, the you know the backward climbing where people are climbing all over each other's backs, and I've seen that happen too. So
0: and what happens in those situations how do you deal with that when people are climbing on each other's backs
1: i think you refocus people back to the mission at hand and the mission you know there there's no i in team as people say so you know get rid of the i that you have and you know only i will do well and focus them back on the team and what the mission is and make sure they just stay focused on that the you know the wealth that comes from these tech companies to me is a uh I'll say this and I'm sure your viewers will laugh. It's an unintended consequence. It's a good thing. It's a great thing, except it's an unintended consequence. At the end of the day, a company is there to provide an amazing product or service to its customers and delight them. And Mark has never lost sight of that. You see that. I mean, his customer, his myopic customer um, ambition and, and pleasing them. It's it's not it's not phony at all. I mean, if a customer needs something and, you know, during my days there, if a co- customer needed something, that was front and center. That is who who your master was. Mark wasn't the master the customer was, and they still are today, I think, in that environment. So you just refocus them. Stay focused on the customer and, and pleasing the customer, and the rest will come, right? It's back to the PSP philosophy. You know, treat people good, but make sure the customer is a great product or service, and the wealth will come. I mean, don't worry about it.
0: And then I got, I know he had a, he had I know it's changed a little bit. He had a real focus on his employees, right, for a long time. Yes. Really focused on them. But I know it's changed recently, in the last six months or so. But what did that yeah. mean, Cindy? What did that mean having a focus on the employees?
1: Well, you know, I would tell you that uh, the culture of a company. I'm I'm I personally in in being a founder. I have spent an inordinate amount of time on on building a culture that people want to work work at. And I would tell you that uh, Salesforce, for the longest time, was a destination employer, you know, and that's what that's what we call ourselves at 360 of me. We want to be a destination employer, um, but that means that it has to be a culture that's healthy, that's non-discriminatory, that's got parity in pay, all the good things that people should actually expect in going to a company. That unfortunately is not always the case. He wanted to make sure those things uh, existed, and I mm-hmm. think he did a fantastic job at that. I I think. Unfortunately, in the last years, um, there had to be some economic decisions made that uh, flew in the face of the customer am- or the employee ambition, because obviously the margins were not what the shareholders wanted. And so it's that delicate balance between, you know, the shareholders and the culture. And he had to make some hard decisions. And if, if, if I were a betting fool, those were some of the hardest decisions he's made in the time that he's led that company.
0: Was it hard to leave Salesforce?
1: Um, I was at a... Yes, Uh, short answer is yes. But I was at a really uh, interesting point in my life. My mother had died uh, at a really young age at 59 years old. And I went home to Michigan to, um, to tend to my family and my sister, my nephew, etc. My stepdad, because of her untimely death. And they really needed in my role and stuff. They really needed people in California. Uh, That was the very hyper growth time of the company. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't be present there to the extent that I i wanted to be or needed to be and so i you know the only option was to go do something that didn't require that i be in in san francisco you know almost full time um so that i could be there for my family and i think at the time it was the right decision it was a hard decision though because it was a great company and who knows i my guess is i may 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 have still been there so
0: yeah i mean the thing is you know the uh, going through it myself you know you have your family situations that happen you got to make some sometimes uh interesting decisions but you know we're only here one time and that's right you, know, you only have uh one mom and dad and and you better uh spend time because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow so i i hear you it's tough and i have
1: no regrets no regrets from that decision you know i still have the utmost in regard and and admiration for that company um and for mark etc it's just you know sometimes timing doesn't doesn't lead you down the the, the path that you want to stay on you have to make a make a, a right hand turn
0: so and then you went to Alex Partners, and you were there a couple of years. Were they located in Michigan, or where they located? Yeah,
1: yeah, they're a Michigan-based company. J. Alex, uh, founder, uh, Michigan guy. Um, great company at the time, if you remember those years. That was uh, during the significant economic downturn, and they were doing um, uh, bankruptcy work and restructuring work. And it was you know, I, I that
0: always happened, though, Cindy. Whatever these, you know, I remember in 2000 uh, in March when they had the meltdown. You know, and, and I did some of them myself. You do this yeah. turnaround stuff because yeah. there's so much up, op- so many opportunities out there to do it. Right. And all of a sudden everybody switches, you know, everybody
1: I'll- switches. Yeah, everybody. But you know what? Here's the thing. If you're in a consulting role and you see all of the, you know, the things that are thwarting somebody from growth or proper margins or what have you. You know, doing restructuring work or, or bankruptcy work is pretty easy because you saw all of it. You see, you could see the train coming and you just had to try and convince the leadership to make those changes. So in going to Alex Partners, it was great because I really believe we helped a lot of companies avoid the, you know, the the uh, horrible tranches of bankruptcy by doing restructuring and getting them back on better footing. And in a lot of cases, it was a data problem. They didn't have data to see that the train was going to hit them. They didn't have good cash flow understanding and, you know, a whole lot of things. So it it all came back to something that's been a thread in my whole career, which is data. It's all about the data. So um, so that was was good work. It was really fun work.
0: And how did you so how did it feel when the when that hit, when the economy changed? How did you deal with it yourself like in 2008? Right. And it started to go sideways. I remember it was like, you know, it was like it was unbelievable. It happened like overnight. It was like COVID. But- well, I'm laughing
1: because um, I had an office in Detroit, pretty much once I moved back to Michigan with my mother's illness, um, I had an office in Detroit and um, we were watching, literally out the window, watching as Detroit went through a resurgence. That was kind of 06, 07. And then of course this came, right? And we watched as you know they shut off the lights of the GM building at the Rensen, downtown Detroit and what have you. And it was it was a bit on the horrifying side because it was a huge boom in Michigan that became a huge bust. Um, and we had not diversified the economy in Michigan. I was on the economic development team uh, for Jennifer Granholm at the time, Governor Granholm at the time. And it was horrifying to watch because we hadn't diversified the economy out of the automotive industry. So to be really candid, to be a Michigander then was a bit on the horrifying side. And we did. Uh, understand then that we had to diversify the economy in the state of Michigan so that if this ever happened again, we didn't end up in the same place, but pretty horrifying.
0: Well, I remember coming into the airport and having to stay overnight. I don't know if it was 2009 or 10, but it was like, I, I had never seen anything like it. There was like, I would go to the hotel, they didn't have alcohol in the hotel. There was like <laughs> things missing. It wasn't COVID, it was like, and I didn't want a lot to drink, but I was like, this is like another world. It was,
1: it was unbelievable. And you know what the sad thing is, my, my, uh, a guy that I called my surrogate Dad used to say this to me all the time. He he said, Sin, all these people didn't get stupid overnight. And, mm-hmm. he, and he was a banker. He was a he, he, he uh, founded and owned a bank in Michigan. And one by one by one, he would see these families who had had family businesses for 50 years, whatever, be it a be it a supplier to the the OEMs, the automotive OEMs or whoever filing bankruptcy and what have you. And he said, all these people didn't get stupid overnight. This should, this should not be a personal affront or a personal assault. But I have to tell you, in that state, right, uh, one of the few cities in the ever in the United States that have ever filed bankruptcy, Detroit filed bankruptcy, you know, we didn't have money to keep the lights on. So um, being there during that time, it taught me a ton of uh, what could happen, what not to do, and even more so how to avoid that in the future. So I think we learned a lot. It, you know, we learned a lot the hard way.
0: Yeah. So you went down, then you went to PwC. Was that still, were you still there or where were you with PwC? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Still, still, still in Detroit. Um, and love, 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 uh, that company still to this day. Love that company. Great consulting firm. Um, really a great firm that, that has great cultural values and beliefs. Um, huge focus on DEI and really mean it. Um, and just, a, just a great, great company. Um, I got a a good chance there to do a bunch of work at Microsoft and a bunch of work at GE. I was kind of the lead tech partner for GE and the lead partner that helped uh, Microsoft take all their properties to become cloud-based properties. So those two projects, huge projects, um, and really, really learned a ton and and had a a great go of it there. Um, For better or for worse, I got a chance to go back to IBM. I was at IBM when I was in college and Um, go back to IBM and help them move to the cloud. And that was a, uh, it was a too good to be true opportunity that I took to really help them understand how to move their properties to the cloud. And since I just helped Microsoft, I was really uh, intrigued at doing it. So that was the only reason that, uh, that I left there
0: yeah no it's a, it's amazing how things have changed right And then you went to that app you and you know it's interesting because you spend about two and a half years at companies it's really interesting why do you do that <laughs> well you why?
1: see why? you see 10, 10 you know it's it's interesting because you see the 10 and the 10 at the very beginning and it's funny right. I've, I've, I've done my my homework on researching this for myself as well and i think there's a point with which i because after being in those two companies which was uh uh, e and Capgemini and, and uh, FedEx for uh, a decade each. After that, I was like, you know what? I want to build. I want to build stuff. And a lot of companies want you to come and build something that operated. And what I learned is I'm a better builder. I'm a good operator. I would tell you, I'm a really good operator, But but I love to build. And so the opportunity, every one of those opportunities after that, if you think about when I went to PwC, they had a build opportunity part of it was to build out their Salesforce practice, by the way. So that was a build opportunity. When IBM called, they wanted me to build their Salesforce practice and help build their cloud practice. So it was a build opportunity. I was like, yep, done that before. Love that. NetApp, they wanted to move their properties to the cloud
0: mm-hmm. and
1: said, yep, done that. So went to NetApp, it was a build opportunity. And the same with Amazon. Obviously, Amazon is a builder culture. And so The thread that runs through it is after I left uh, EY Capgemini, wherever there was a really compelling build opportunity, which ironically seemed to happen around two and a half years out. Um, If it was a really compelling opportunity, I felt that I had the experience to do it. I really wanted to go build something. And that's and funny today, I'm building something.
0: (laughs) It's it's amazing. So when you were at Amazon, did you get to work with Bezos at all? No, mm
1: -mm, never met the guy.
0: What was it like at Amazon compared to your other companies?
1: Oh boy! Uh, do we have to go there? <laughs> um, and not uh, a healthy culture. I, despite no. their, despite their their best efforts, I think they added a, to their what do they have like twenty two now leadership principles or something. But they uh, they added a leadership principle to become the world's best or Earth's best employer or something like that. And wow! Um, I honestly would tell you is unlike any place I any other place I had had, had ever been was a back climbing culture. I love the builder side of it, but the builder side of it came at a, at a cost because they didn't have any guardrails around building. And by that, I mean, you know, uh, strategic plan, you know, kind of what's that uh, performa kind of what's that budget kind of what's that. And so the normal and customary things, you know, they just run hard and throw stuff at the wall and hope it sticks, which is it's has been very successful for them, but for, the average bear that's been in corporate America—it's um, a very, very, very different situation. Um, and 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 I liked uh, the chance to build there. What I didn't like was the way people were treated there. So you know, from a from a person that loves to treat people well and have them do good work, I just saw so many things there that were orthogonal to treating people well. So from a cultural standpoint, that was yikes.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so let's go to 360 of me. So you started that your trusted platform for securing personal digital assets that deliver deep and meaningful insights of you. So tell us a little what's the journey been like there? And where are you today?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been a great journey. And I I would tell you harken back to, um, you know, the conversation about saying I had lunch with Mark Benioff, at one point, we were trying to figure out how to um or or the challenges that we are having with building the marketing cloud at salesforce and one of the things that i said to mark over lunch is i don't understand why people know what they want to buy why are we out there trying to find those people that know what they want to buy like what if they raise their hand right and i and i continued down the path of trying to understand why in the world this was like you know uh finding waldo uh to to be able to connect with somebody who wanted to buy something and then I started investigating the how data is taken from people, how data is used that really is somebody's asset. It's your personal assets and what have you. And I came to the conclusion there had to be a better way. There had to be a better way consensually to give your data to somebody that you wanted to buy something from and have a trusted relationship. Mm-hmm. And so you know, that was long ago. And as I continued to watch even the, um, the data privacy market evolve with GDPR and what have you. I continued to develop this solution and and really believed that a consensual relationship could make commerce, a bi-directional commerce exchange, something that two people could benefit from. It would be a value exchange between an enterprise and a consumer. So that's what uh, I designed back in, I guess I designed it back in 2015 um, and continue to evolve it. And so uh, we're launching it, we'll launch it this month, the MVP, um, and we're doing phenomenal because with the, both the compliance landscape, but also the necessity to get consent from people to use their data, which is continuing to be more and more aggressive from a compliance standpoint, and from a mm-hmm. regulatory standpoint, uh, we're doing really well. We're doing really, really well. And we've got a number of customers that uh, we're under NDA with and working through solutions. So it's been, it's been an amazing journey.
0: And so you've been involved in this you know, for seven years, what, almost eight years? Yeah. So what's yeah. the journey been like? So, you know, have you raised money for the company uh, at this point? Or where are you with r- fundraising and things?
1: Yeah, so we, um, so we designed and architected the solution and re- released uh, what I would call V1 back in 2017. It was too early. I thought GDPR was going to come across the pond faster than it did and it didn't. And then we had a change of administration in Washington who kind of deprioritized data privacy. And so uh, we mothballed the solution. We, did, we didn't shut anything down. We just mothballed the solution and re-architected it back in, starting back in 2022, 2023, because obviously the wave was then really uh, profound. So, um, you know, that's been the kind of the seven-year journey. As far as raising money, uh, I raised money on the first round of building the architecture, and I've been able to raise money this time as well. Uh, we're in our final, what I would call our final raise in our seed round, um, and we should have that closed hopefully in the next probably four to six weeks. So we've been we've been the fortunate ones in being able to uh, to raise the necessary funds. And of course, you know, as a founder, I've put um, uh, funds in as well uh, where needed. So,
0: well, wow, that's fantastic. So we're coming up to the top of the show. What are your closing thoughts, and what words of wisdom would you give other startup entrepreneurs? like yourself that are out there thinking about going from a corporate life to the startup world?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a, a phenomenal journey. I would highly recommend it. I would highly recommend it at this stage in your life when you've got the amount of uh, warts and experience that I have. But what I would simply say is um, keep focusing on the culture in the company. Our company has grown uh, and done so well because of the culture. We have a great product that we'll release. Um, but. But stay focused on the people and stay focused on the culture. They'll deliver for you uh, immensely, and that's that's been, I think, a key to our success.
0: And uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if we want to reach out? LinkedIn or any? Um, they can
1: way? email me directly, Cindy Warner at three hundred and sixty of Email anytime, certainly LinkedIn as well. But uh, Cindy Warner at three hundred and sixty of me I'd love to hear from people and love to help them on their especially an enterprise on their journey to uh, to be, um, you know, a trusted ethical data exchange with their consumers.
0: Sounds great. Thanks, Cindy, for taking time in the busy schedule to join us today. And thanks to all my audience for joining one more time. GST presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. And my name is Gary Fowler. I'm your host. Stay happy, stay safe, and stay healthy. And I'll be back to you again soon with another exciting edition. Thanks, Cindy. Take thanks, care. Gary. Good seeing you. Bye.